Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 Welcome to the history of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. Henry Hudson was an English sea explorer and navigator during the early 17th century, best known for his explorations of present-day Canada and parts of the northeastern United States. Let's learn more about this titan of history with help from the Gone Podcast. In 16th century Europe, the spice trade was one of the most valuable economic ventures. Spice was one of the most valuable imports in the European economy, and not just because it improved flavor, but food preservation at that point in history was fairly lacking. Spice was extremely valuable because it could be used to mask the taste of stale or rotten food. Growing demand for Asian spices by the end of the 16th century had swept through London and other major European cities. Whoever controlled the trade routes also controlled the biggest economic boom in European history. As such, European monarchs and naval captains were all scrambling to find new, faster routes to Asia in order to gain an advantage in the spice trade. These rulers would grant exclusive charters to large trading companies, funding their expeditions to find these new routes. This essentially gave these early backers monopolies on international trade. The British and Dutch companies were some of the most well-funded and competitive with trade empires stretching from the East Indies to Africa to the Caribbean. The British were known to have roughly 2,000 ships at sea at any given time. Some were military or transport vessels, but many of them were on spice routes. In fact, the British controlled half of all Asian-European trade. The British knew that finding a quicker route to Asia would make them even more powerful, and other countries knew that finding the route would allow them to compete with the British. More, it would make the monarch and the company who funded the expedition a lot of money, likely with exclusive trade rights for decades to come. The fame, glory, and economic security for the commander was an attractive bonus. Enter Henry Hudson, a 40-year-old commander who was looking to make a name for himself on the high seas. Hudson was likely born around 1567, but there is almost nothing known about his life prior to taking on his first command in 1607 when he was 40. Trading vessels don't just hand over a command to anyone, so it's a safe bet that Hudson spent most of his early life aboard ships, perhaps starting out as a cabin boy and working his way up the ranks for the next few decades until he took command of his own ship for the Muscovy Company in England. Forty was young for a man to be made captain, and so it was clear that Hudson had made a name for himself. On top of that, the route he was tasked with sailing was known to be difficult, further confirming Muscovy's confidence in Hudson's abilities as a sailor and a leader. 
During this journey, Hudson established work methods that would characterize all his future explorations. First, the crew left in the spring, hoping to avoid the icy conditions of the north during the warmer months. Second, he brought his teenage son John with him, likely to train him in the family business. And third, he hired a man named Robert Jewett, who would continue to work with Hudson and document their journeys. Jewett's official title per Hudson's journals was The Master His Mate. Hudson was excited as the ship set out in May of 1607, knowing that a successful trip would be excellent for his career. The ship made good time as they pushed north. Favorable weather allowed them to explore far and wide. According to Jewett's journals, the crew also made note of an unexpected large whale population. But late in the season, the water around the ship began to freeze as an icy winter set in. This led to a dangerous, potentially deadly scenario. A ship at that time could manage to push through icy water, albeit very, very slowly. The slowdown in travel meant that sailors would go through rations faster and risk running out of supplies before reaching their destination. And if the ice got worse, the ship could find itself stuck in place for weeks or even months waiting for a thaw. The sailors would be trapped in these freezing conditions with no real option but to wait for spring. Given this potential danger, Hudson made the disappointing decision to turn back. But even then, he seemed to value his life and the lives of his crew over the mission. He did his best to keep spirits up, since every sailor knew the truth. If conditions got bad enough, nothing could save them. However, the crew was skilled, and Hudson let them well. They escaped the ice and returned to London. Hudson was disappointed to return without having found a passage to Asia, and he knew his investors wouldn't be satisfied unless he could offer them some kind of new trade opportunities out of his voyage. Luckily, the whales that his men had spotted could prove to be a saving grace. Whale hunting was a lucrative business at that time, and so when Hudson returned, he downplayed the failures of his expedition and emphasized that whale discovery instead. As he'd hoped, his investors were pleased. They were so pleased, in fact, that they provided Hudson with support to try and find the Northeast Passage again a year later in 1608. However, the route he hoped to take proved elusive to chart and difficult to navigate. Maps at the time had a general idea of major coastal features, but ice tended to shift, and maps in remote areas were less accurate. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. Hudson made it as far as the Novaya Zemla archipelago north of Russia in the Arctic Circle, but was once again blocked from further travel by ice. 
Unfortunately, this time he had no new whale population to paint the trip as a good investment. The three-month-long voyage was a failure. But Hudson refused to be deterred from finding a northern passage to Asia, even if the British were less than happy with his lack of progress. Luckily for Hudson, in 1609 he was able to convince the Dutch East India Company that it was worth funding another trip. This was a bit of a shady deal, as it was considered controversial or even treasonous to work for more than one country as an explorer. Exploration was too closely tied to patriotism. Taking a mission from another country could be seen as working to undercut the interests of his native Britain. But the Dutch were happy to have Hudson. He was too experienced an explorer for a potential investor to ignore. They appointed him as commander of the Half Moon and funded him to once again set sail in the spring for the icy Arctic waters north of Russia. Hudson, a new mission in hand, was hopeful and determined. He set off for the north enthusiastically and pushed his men hard. But once again, his ship was blocked by impassable ice. Hudson knew he was facing a difficult choice. If he went home empty-handed again, his career as a commander could very well be over. The British had already cut him off, after all. But he knew he couldn't push forward here with any chance of success or survival. However, it was only June, barely into the sailing season. Hudson had heard rumors stirring that there might be a northern passage to the west through North America. Finding nothing in North America couldn't be any more of a failure than finding nothing in Russia, and the weather was better. So Hudson turned his ship around and sailed across the Atlantic. The half moon reached Nova Scotia sometime in July of 1609. Europeans had been exploring North America since the early 1500s. And Jewett even noted they saw some Frenchmen in Maine, but these were few and far between. Hardly any explorers had seen this rich, lush land themselves. Hudson and his men were astounded, taking copious notes about the native people, incredible plants, and animal populations. Still hoping to find a northwest passage, the crew headed for a river that would lead them inland. Hudson reached the river in September of 1609 and began the arduous journey north. Today, this river is called the Hudson River. Native Americans referred to it as Mahicanatuck, and it met the ocean at present-day New York Harbor, an as yet unsettled area. The crew soon realized that nature wasn't the only hostile force that was besieging the ship. They had previously made note of the local Native American population. They had hoped that the locals would leave them alone as they passed through the land. But now, archers from the local tribe began firing arrows at the ship from the shore. Despite the dangers and the frequent attacks, Hudson refused to be deterred. He ordered his crew to push forward. It was a risky call, and one he ended up paying for. Archers killed one of his crew and injured two more. The men were undoubtedly spooked, but they'd come too far to turn back now. Hudson rallied them to the glory they would earn if they found the Northwest Passage. They made land to bury their dead colleague, then returned to the task at hand. 
sometime in July of 1609, Hudson led his crew 150 miles north up the river, creating maps and excellent records of the natural resources there. The crew found an enormous beaver population that they planned to report back to Europe. Beavers, at the time, were in demand for their furs and skins. Regardless of whether or not they found the Northwest Passage, this was a much more successful trip than Hudson's previous efforts. After weeks on the river, the crew reached the end of their journey somewhere near present-day Albany. Hudson was undoubtedly disappointed that this river had not led to Asia, but he was not going home empty-handed. As winter conditions threatened to set in, Hudson made the call to return to the Netherlands. Hudson made a bizarre call on the return journey when he ordered his ship to dock in the English port of Dartmouth to resupply. Recall that Hudson was working on a commission from a Dutch company and was thus flying under a Dutch flag. He didn't even bother to take the flag down when he made port. He and all his men were promptly arrested once they docked. Despite Hudson's employment agreement with the Dutch, the English authorities felt that they could charge Hudson with treason since he was an Englishman sailing under the flag of a competing nation. The charges never amounted to anything, but Hudson was officially censured and barred from leaving England to complete his return journey to Holland. The English government finally released the Half Moon, which returned to Amsterdam without Hudson at the helm. Hudson could have actually lucked out here, as the English government's action against him meant he never had to face his Dutch investors and answer for the failed journey. He set about finding new English investors for another journey. By April of 1610, Hudson had struck a deal with the British government. His travel ban was lifted, so long as he only sailed under the British flag. Hudson was ready to set out on another voyage. This one would be his last. Join me next time as we continue our mini-series on Henry Hudson, one of the greatest explorers of the New World. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride.